Hey guys, welcome to the History of Vikings. Before we begin today's show, I have a very exciting piece of news to share with you, and that is that the History of Vikings podcast is now proudly sponsored by a company known as the Froggy Viking. They make beautiful, hand-carved drinking horns, and I encourage you to check out their website, thefroggyviking.com, but more from them later. If you enjoy the History of Vikings, then do me a favor and write me a review, as I would love to hear your feedback. And the more reviews the show gets, the easier it is for people to find. Also, you can always feel free to contact me with any questions, episode ideas, or Viking-related guests that you think I should have on the show. My email is noah at thehistoryofvikings.com. Again, that's noah at thehistoryofvikings.com. Now, on with the show. Today, I'm joined by someone very special, a native of Scotland and an aspiring author. She is the author of the book series, The Children of Midgard, and it is, of course, uh, Siobhan Clark. Siobhan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Noah. It's a real pleasure to be here today. Um, I'm a big fan of the show, so this is a real joy. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to have you, and I'm so excited that you're a, a fan of the show. This is, uh, this is very exciting, but uh, one of the things uh, that I would love to talk about you with today is I know you're quite familiar with Norse mythology and the whole mythology of the Vikings. And we've talked about Norse mythology rather extensively on the show. You know, we've covered all different sorts of topics and we've had on Caroline Larrington and, and Jackson Crawford and all of these folks. But today, I guess we're sort of honing in on three areas of Norse mythology that are kind of a blur to me personally. and. Of course, I'll introduce those, but today let's get into the first one, and that is, of course, the god Heimdall. Now, Heimdall is known as the guardian of Asgard. Uh, he is, of course, the one who carries the, the great horn and lives atop Bifrost, the rainbow bridge that connects Asgard to our world Midgard. He is known as the Watchman. I believe that he is described as uh, having very keen hearing, being able to hear the, the wool grow on the sheep and the grass grow in the ground. But uh, if you would, would you just give us a sort of introduction to his character and who he is in the Norse myths? Absolutely. So Heimdall was the, the guardian of the gods. And so he would watch over the gods of, in Asgard from the Rainbow Bridge or Bifrost. And um, he possessed the Gjallarhorn. And that when he rang that out, that was the coming of Ragnarok, which was the twilight of the gods. And that's really quite some job for one of the gods to, to have to do. And um, he, he had a major role in Ragnarok as well. And ultimately, he and Loki were, were you know, fearsome enemies. And they had many struggles throughout the myths as well. But they face off against one another in Ragnarok. And, um, and so I, I found that Heimdall was a really interesting god um, to talk about and kind of research as well. Yeah, um, I believe it's described as um, him even having nine mothers, right? Like that's one of the great sort of ironies that we see so often in Norse mythology. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So he's said to be the son of nine mothers and we don't really know too much more about this. Um, there's some idea that perhaps the nine mothers were something to do with Aegir um, and some relation to the sea as well. But apart from that, we were not really too sure what that meant um, for, for Heimdall as, as a god. Um, and he is the son of Odin as well. So um, that's really the, probably the, the only thing that we do know about the Nine Mothers part. Yeah. Now, he's definitely 
a very interesting, a very interesting fellow. Uh, now, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Ragnarok? You know, he certainly plays a, a key role in Ragnarok, but um, we know Ragnarok is is being the twilight of the gods when uh, the giants uh, invade Asgard and clash with all of the different gods, and, and Thor um, battles the Midgard serpent oh, yeah. and all of these you know, these uh, monumental events, but what is Ragnarok in, in Norse mythology? And yeah, yeah. Could you just give us a sort of um, an introduction to that as well? Yeah. So Ragnarok is the twilight of the gods. It's when um, the, the gods will um, engage in this great and uh, kind of epic battle um, with the Jotuns or the, the giants. And at the time of Ragnarok, every god has his mortal or his enemy to face and so as I was saying it's um, Heimdall will face Loki and Odin faces Fenrir the wolf and and so on so all the gods um, will kind of you know come to a, quite a grim end really and when Ragnarok is finally over it's the world will be created once again um, we won't have the gods as such anymore it'll be a brand new world yeah, so it's sort of the the end of the world, and um, I believe it's even yes. But isn't there sort of um, correct me if I'm wrong? This um, what we might call a mythic cycle in Norse myth, where after Ragnarok, the the mm-hmm. world and the world tree Yggdrasil is is even reborn. That's that's super interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's this cyclic um, kind of element to all of the stories, uh, the myths and. The legends are, um, surrounding Norse mythology, and it's really, really interesting. It can get a bit confusing sometimes as well when you're reading or researching it, trying to kind of understand the complexity behind Norse mythology it can be quite tricky. But yeah, so um, it's this idea of rebirth and a new beginning, um, the end never truly being the end, but as kind of a, a new beginning um, of, of the world, of life as we know it, and a continuation. So Nothing ever really comes to an end. It's just it becomes a different form of itself. Yeah, you know, I've um, I'm super passionate about Norse mythology and, and all the different aspects. And as I'm reading it, and I, and I do read it quite frequently, is I'm just enamored by the the different personalities and how different all of the gods and the creatures are, and just how wild and exciting they are. And I know oh. there's certainly a lot of strong leading female characters in the myths, which really add a lot to the story as well. Um, but this certain group of females in the myths we see come up, and I've never really delved into them in terms of researching who they are. But these are, of course, what are known as the Norns. And yeah. as I've understood it, is there's multiple of these female creatures. Are they some sort of a sisterhood? But what is their significance? Um, it's, it's really, really interesting. When I was researching this, I, keeps, I was drawing some um, similarities between this idea of the Norns and um, Filga, or the Filgir, and Dis, or the Disir, and also Valkyries. They all seem to kind of come into this category of female spirits or deities. And um, so the, the Norns of Fate are three women, um, and they, uh, they represent um, what once was what's coming into being and what shall be. And so it's like the past, present and future. They're the three main uh, Norns, um, well, they're the, the three main ladies, certainly, that um, we consider when we talk about fate, um, that they're, that's their area. The other Norns, 
have a similar job, they are, are said to come to children at the time of their birth and they shape and form their destiny. And um, in some ways, it was seen that if a person had ill fortune, ill health and a terrible time while they were living, that the norm that visited them would be seen as a malevolent being. And then there was also the reversal of that as well. So if a person did tremendously well in life and was very wealthy and had, you know, um, a wonderful family and things were all looking very, very good, then they would be being visited by benevolent norns. Um, so the idea of um, norns or these entities creating and shaping someone's fate or future is just incredibly interesting. But it's also a little frightening to think that you wouldn't have that much control um, over your life if you, if you truly believed that something other than you was creating your fate. Yeah. Now, uh, this is probably totally unrelated to the Norns, but I know there's this, this type of magic um, prevalent in Norse mythology that has the ability to alter one's destiny, if I'm correct, and that's known as Seder. Is that, um, were the Norns yeah. practitioners of that? Well, um, when when reading about them, there isn't a direct link, um, certainly, to Seder magic with the Norns. Um, but they do pr- practice their own kind of divination, I guess, or reading um, someone's fate or or the future. And they would do that with runes. Um, and when I was reading about the Norns, certainly there was a really lovely passage and it described them as carving um, runes into the trunk of Yggdrasil or weaving um, this continuous thread, um, creating someone's um, life as a tapestry. And certainly that could be seen as, as Seder. So I guess that there was a, a really large element that people could think that that, that was um, a part of their being. Wow, that's fascinating. And another area of sort of Norse myth or or the sagas or the heroics of Viking history that I've always wondered about as well is, um, you know, these people known as the Yams Vikings. And in fact, my friend uh, Bjorn Andreas Bullhansen, he has been on the show before, uh, awesome guy. He actually wrote a his novel series, I believe, is called Yams Vikings. So who were these these Yams Vikings? Who who were they exactly? Well, um, according to the sagas, um, the Yams Vikings were a kind of legendary group of mercenaries or warriors, and they formed a brotherhood or an order. Um, and they were said to be completely fearless in battle, and but also they would offer their skills to the highest payer. So um, they were possibly, you know, um, I guess how, how you could describe them, not as being completely trustworthy, but they were selling what they could offer and they would quite frequently change sides as well. So there wasn't an allegiance um, to one ruler or anything like that with them. And another really interesting thing about them was the, the the laws that they created within that brotherhood as well. And they were quite strict and very, very clear what was expected of you as a young spiking. Fascinating. Uh, I know that a lot of things that excite people about this whole Vikings is the sort of poetry uh, associated with them. And I know skaldic poetry, of course, we understand that somebody who would have been like a poet or a storyteller during the Viking Age would have been referred to as a skald. And now, what is skaldic poetry? And uh, after you're done telling us about that, I know you've even uh, prepared some pieces of skaldic poetry yourself, which uh, I'm quite excited to um, to listen to. Thank you. Um, well, um, being a writer and um, a reader, uh, I have to say that 
the skaldic um, influence is just absolutely amazing. And um, so a skald would, um, it's a tradition of oral history within um, kind of the, the Norse mythology, telling of mythology and sagas. They would recite it and it was really revered, um, actually, you know, um, people really wanted uh, to be in the presence of a skull to hear um, about their traditions and their history and all about the gods and the myths behind them as well. Absolutely. And yes. So would you say that skaldic poetry and just the way that a lot of the the Viking um, sources that we have are written in this very poetic manner has had influence on you as a writer? Of course, I mentioned uh, that oh, you've yeah. written this book, Children of Midgard. So could you tell us about that? Absolutely. Well, I have to say that certainly the style and the writing of poetry, I find for me, is just absolutely packed with imagery. And it's just written in a really, really beautiful way. And um, and I, I really kind of end up losing many, many hours to sitting down kind of reading and taking notes and coming up with stories and things like that to, to work on myself. Um, and in the Children of Midgard, it's, it's basically a historical adventure. It's set in Norway, and it's around about the time when Harald Greycloak um, becomes the ruler of the Western Kingdom there. Um, and the, the story um, surrounds the myth of um, the death of Baldur. Um, and our main character is a woman, and um, she is actually on the run from um, some young Vikings who have been dispatched by a Jarl, um, a rather power-hungry and um, nefarious character. And um, so she's been tasked with the protection um, and guarding of Odin's um, progeny in Midgard. And it just so happens to be a small child. And then along with the child is his birthright as well, which is um, a ring, which is said to be, you know, to give the owner um, or the possessor of it a uh, great wealth and power. And that's why we have this Jarl who is so intent in getting it. Um, And then on the journey, really what we're doing is we're encountering this idea of fate from the Norns um, and what that means to the characters. They they all have their own personal journey to travel and they all have to come to a point where they realise that perhaps they don't control their fate, but maybe, you know, what they can do is change how they reach that that ending that, that final kind of culmination of their journey yeah wow that's that's so fascinating yeah uh Thank you. yeah the journey of a writer that's something that's uh just enamors me all the time just uh and i know that i um have you know dabbled in writing before and i have written a few podcast episodes uh in the early days and i'm uh in the process of writing an article about uh, viking berserkers for a military history blog and I know a lot of the um, sort of the original sources are just really inspiring the imagery and and all of that that they that they um, give off, you know. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that it was ever since I was probably quite young, um, listening to kind of the mythology, and um, I came from a family who were absolutely fantastic about reading and things like that, and really encouraged it from a young age. And really, I, I can't recommend it highly enough. It just expands your your mind and ideas and the way that you visualize things as well. And for me, Norse mythology really is just so fantastic for that. No, it's, it's really exciting to see. And in fact, I was just talking with somebody about this the other day, as you know, there's so many great um, just works of literature that are just 
impeccable, you know, in, in Norse, um, in the whole sort of Norse Viking realm, whether it be the dozens and dozens of sagas that we have, the, the Norse myths, you know, because also often, uh, when we're growing up, we're taught to study, uh, the classics of ancient Greece and Rome, uh, Plato, Socrates, and, and, and the like, which is, um, those are great works as well. But I think that, um, the, the, just essentially works of of excellence and works of art that are so prevalent in Norse culture are are equally as important and in readers and can can benefit from reading those just the same. Oh, I absolutely agree. Um, I think that there are so many writers out there that have been influenced by um, Norse mythology and the sagas and things like that. And um, I think it's not until that you actually go and start to read and um, kind of involve yourself in a little bit more research outside of it that you think, oh gosh, that's actually, that that's kind of like that story that I read or that writer wrote something a little bit similar. So um, it's amazing how many people have actually been influenced by the Norse mythology. Oh, it's incredible. There's so many great stories and, and even lessons. I've seen people taking uh, um, like, you know, quotes and, and lessons from the Havamal and various things and, and words of of wisdom, you know, so it's it's just very exciting to see. So skaldic poetry, uh, as we were discussing uh, just moments ago, is something very exciting. Uh, we know that a lot of the um, Viking sources were uh, written in this um, sort of um, skaldic poetry form, and I know that you've actually prepared some pieces of skaldic poetry for us today, uh, which you're going to um, share with us in a few moments. Uh, and actually, they are very naturally uh, in relation to the topics that we talked about in the beginning of the episode, the god Heimdall and, and the Norns and, and the Yams Vikings. Now, before we get into Siobhan's skaldic poetry, I wanted to take this moment to hear a brief word from our sponsor. Aren't you tired of the same old plastic cups at parties? Want to feel like you're on set in Cottagate or Winterfell? Well, our sponsor could solve these problems. The Froggy Viking is your source for all types of Viking drinkware. Their one-of-a-kind drinking horns are a great conversation piece for any Norse Viking enthusiast. These horns are highly polished and have a food-safe grade lacquer that makes them great for cold liquids. I can promise you that their horns are of the highest quality, and I'm quite excited for my own tanker to arrive in the mail. Please check them out at thefroggyviking.com, and they are also on social media at thefroggyviking. All of you listening to this can receive 10% off your order when you use the code VIKINGS10 at checkout. Again, please head over to thefroggyviking.com and receive 10% off your one-of-a-kind drinking horn when you use the code VIKINGS10 at checkout. Take it away, Siobhan. Thank you very much. So the first one that I'd like to uh, read to you is about Heimdall, the god. And um, it's also, it's, it's kind of giving you an idea of the tradition of storytelling and what a skald might do um, and how it, well it, it would have been received by people then. So I'll start. In the time of many kingdoms, a skald came upon a hall in the deepest of winters. He was welcomed by the people who had little but offered what they could. Humbled by their generosity, he thanked them with a tale. It is winter, a harsh and brutal time, but there is a winter no man could survive. It is the Fimbulvetter, when the wars of men with axe and sword will meet the storm. This is the time when Heimdall, 
will raise the resounding Gellarhorn, for he is the watchman of the gods, he who stands alone on the Bifrost, the gateway to Asgard. But Heimdall is never truly alone, for he can see into the farthest reaches of the realms, whether it is Sol or Mani in the sky. So sharp is his ear that he hears the growth of each new blade of grass. He is the son of Odin and nine mothers. In the time of Ragnarok, he will do battle with the father of lies, and each of them will fall. But this is not the Fimbulvetter. And so Heimdall waits and watches all between the realms of gods and men. When the tale was over, all those in the hall thanked the skald, for many dreams were had that night of perishing winters and gods in battle. When they awoke, Sol had broken through the clouds in the sky, and the footprints of the skald who had disappeared before daybreak could clearly be seen in the snow. So in that um, as well, there was also another interesting um, kind of part about Heimdall, and that was um, his relation actually to the... um, the, the the classes in um, Viking and Norse um, society, um, and it's the it's called the Lay of Reg. And um, if anybody's interested in a little bit of kind of reading about that, um, definitely have a look into that um, myth. It's it's really really interesting. Yeah. So this piece is about the Yom's Vikings. A young man who had little to his name but a sword came to sit with an aging warrior by a fire. The warrior asked the man his name, but the youth shook his head and sighed, I am nameless. Where are you from? Where are you going? asked the warrior, and nameless replied, Nowhere and no place. The warrior stared at nameless with pity. Then you will come with me, he said. You will fight for the right to join my brotherhood, and there you will be given a name. You will swear an oath of loyalty to your brothers and never speak ill towards them. There you will know battle and see blood upon your sword. No vengeance will you take, should you see a face of who caused you harm in this life. I have no feud with any man, said Nameless. Good, the warrior replied, and no woman or child, for you won't find any within our walls. Then come, you will know wealth, you will feast, you will die with honour, and when the Valkyries come for your slain body, you will enter the great hall of Odin. I will come, said Nameless. Good, said the warrior, but first you must face Holmgang and pray you strike down your opponent, or none of this you will ever come to know. And this verse is about the Norns. Three Jotun came to the gods and made their hall by the roots of Yggdrasil. They were Urd, Verdandi, and Skuld. They knew the fate, being, and necessity of all gods, men, and every life in the nine realms. From the well of Urd they drew water and nourished the world tree. They shaped the destinies of all beings, with the threads of fate, and carved runes into the trunk of Yggdrasil. Such was their knowledge of the past, present and future, the gods sought their counsel. And when the three children were fathered by Loki, and the Jotun Angerbodr, a warning was given to Odin. For Hel, Jormungand and Fenrir were monstrous beasts. Odin sent Hel to Niflheim, the world beneath worlds, where she made her hall and welcomed only those who had died from old age and illness. Jormungand was thrown into the sea and sank into the abyss. There he grew so large and long he encircled the world and bit his tail. But of Fenrir, Odin decided to watch, for he appeared only to be a wolf. Of all the gods, only Tyr was brave enough to feed the beast. Fenrir grew and grew, his appetite and nature ferocious and savage. The Norns renewed their warning and told the gods this beast would cause the death of Odin. And so Fenrir was chained, bound to Gjol, and waited for the coming of Ragnarok. You have just heard 
beautiful pieces of skaldic poetry. So, Siobhan, you wrote this book, Children of Midgard, and I know it's only just come out, but it's already really gaining a lot of traction. Uh, I know you're doing all sorts of uh, exciting book signings all over uh, Scotland, and I know people are really, really latching onto it, and it's it's something very exciting. But um, could you tell us a little bit about your book? And of course, I'll put a, a link to it in the description below. And for all those listening, I, I cannot tell you enough how much you should go purchase this book because it's really awesome. It's a historical adventure. And I know that Siobhan is just so passionate about Vikings and Norse myth. And I know that she's grown up with it too, which is something that I have not actually. So um, she's quite the expert on this subject. And I just implore you to uh, click on the link below and pick up a copy of The Children of Midgard. But Siobhan, why don't you tell us a little bit about your book? Uh, what got you into it? And uh, why did you decide to write this book? Thanks, Laura. Well, um, I have grown up, like you said, um, with a real love and interest in Viking history and mythology ever since I was very, very young. Um, I had a fantastic grandfather who was really interested in the subject himself. And um, he made sure that if there was anything that I wanted to read, he encouraged it. And it was really fantastic. So um, over the years, I've just continued um, reading and trying to gain more knowledge about mythology. And there is so much there for people to, to really get into and to learn as well. Um, so the, the idea came to me um, when I was reading the myth of the, the death of Baldur. Um, and I just there were some lines in there that really spoke to me about the grief of the gods losing one of their, their own and also the, the effects that that had. Um, kind of leading on from the death of Baldur um, for, for the rest of them and pretty much the coming of Ragnarok um, not too far away. So the, the characters um, are kind of living with this, this shadow of this legend, of this myth over their heads. Um, it's about a lot about how people perceive that myth and how they choose to live their life um, according to it. Um, it is an absolute adventure. There A lot happens and we have some brilliant characters. Um, we have Sears, um, we have fantastic Yom's Vikings, and that really was a huge part um, that I really enjoyed, was writing about this order of men, and they had this code. Um, and then we have also women as well, who um, were taking on the roles of healers, and um, our, our lead character is, is a woman as well, which was an interesting aspect to bring into wow. the story. Fascinating, fascinating. Well, thank you so much, Siobhan, for joining me today. I've thoroughly enjoyed our discussion, and I've really learned a lot about all of the, the things in Norse myth that we've talked about. But for all of our, our listeners, um, where can they find you? Sure. Um, so the, the book is available. I guess everybody uh, pretty much has access to Amazon. But um, in the UK, I guess Waterstones, things like that, and um, also Barnes & Noble, the, the usual big bookstores of wow. will have a copy. That's awesome. And um, of course, you can follow me on Twitter for those of you who uh, are Twitter people. And I really do encourage you to get on Twitter because uh, it's really just such an exciting community of uh, Norse history lovers on Twitter. But if you enjoyed the history of Vikings, do me a favor and write me a review. You can always feel free to contact me anytime. My email address is noah at thehistoryofvikings.com. Thank you all so much for listening to the history of Vikings.